Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Doing Time podcast. My name is Eric Williams. I am a professor at Sonoma State University, and I do training programs for prison officials across the country. Hi, my name is Jake, Jacob Mermel. I'm a former student of Eric Williams, and thank you for joining us again on Doing Time podcast. Yeah, it's great. We're getting uh, we're getting more and more listeners every time. And uh, before we get rolling, I, I wanted to mention that first of all, we'd love it if you'd follow us on on Twitter, join the Facebook group uh, on Twitter. It's at Doing Time Pod with no G. Doing Time Pod, and we also have a Facebook group you can join where we take questions. And actually, both of today's topics are recommended from people uh, who are part of our Facebook group. Uh, but before we got going, I wanted to mention that we now have five five-star ratings, Jacob. Five. Very nice. Very, five very nice. five-star ratings. Uh, uh, and I wanted to make sure to just give a quick shout-out. The first one is from Fitzy Brennan, which is, uh, I'm assuming, is Brennan Fitzpatrick, who also wants intro music, by the way, so we'll work on that. Uh, Ed Vark, who says that law and political science junkies must listen. Um, we got a got a five star rating from irritated one two three four five six seven eight nine. That's nice, pretty irritated. Um, nice, but uh, this person is not irritated enough. She, uh, she he or she said, "I love hearing about current issues in our government and prisons." Uh, Kurt Connor, who recommended one of our topics for today, said it's a great legal and current events podcast. And McGarlson0507, which I think I might know who that is. But anyway, uh, uh, she, if it's who I think it is, uh, said great podcast. And so we love having these five-star reviews. They actually, all reviews help us get found easier on iTunes. So uh, we'd love it if you'd keep them coming. All right. All right, so uh, so let's get into it a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about a uh, topic recommended by my friend Kelly, who's a member of the Facebook group, who wanted us to discuss scared straight programs, and I guess probably the scared straight television program as well. But uh, scared straight programs specifically for juveniles is what we're going to talk about, and other programs. Kurt Connor has asked us to speak about Orange is the New Black. I guess he heard me mention a couple of times how much I despise the show, <laughs> and so he wanted to hear why. And Jacob, you wanted to talk about what specifically today? The hopeful creation of a Kurdish state in the coming years. Okay, so a, a so-called Kurdistan in the Middle East, and that is Jacob's uh, international. Uh, what do we want? We got to come up with a decent name for this. Uh, you know, I've been calling it your international rant, and it, I mean uh, it kind of is. So I think we can stick is, with okay. yeah, we can stick with that. All right, cool. So anyway, uh, I was I spent the last almost two weeks in Texas. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I get hired to go around the country and teach critical thinking to corrections professionals. So for a week, I was running a program for 32 prison wardens from across the country. And then uh, I did a couple of days in the Dallas area with jail administrators. And uh, it was always, it's a lot of fun. And the first program, actually, all the wardens give each other mementos and they give them to me. So I now have license plates from five different states, which I never knew I needed. Nice. Um, yeah, I also have a license plate ashtray and I don't smoke, so I'm really not sure what to do with that. Uh, but as I was, I, I was driving across the country uh, to start my sabbatical and I, I was pulled over in Mississippi, uh, which, which should shock no one, uh, given that I drive with California plates. And I got pulled over for illegally changing lanes. Um, 
I, I'm not sure how I illegally changed the lanes. I'm pretty sure I signaled. It was two o'clock in the morning, but you know, I got pulled over. And the cop on three different occasions said, I don't know what they teach you in California, but in the great state of Mississippi, we don't allow blah, 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 blah. Like, is that necessary? Uh, to scare you, yes, to never enter the state of Mississippi again. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, mm. like, I have a lot of students who are, you know, currently cops. And like, if, if somebody gets pulled over in Runner Park, do they say, I don't know what they teach you in L.A., but in the great city of Rohnert Park, we don't allow you to drive that way. Like, is it this, a similar thing? Um, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I never had that problem. But, uh, no, uh, you know, police officers like to yell at you. I mean, I got pulled over once when I was 17, and I just got, you know, he never he didn't write me a ticket. He just yelled at me for about 10 minutes. Excellent. Yeah, so that was it. That was kind yeah. of, he's like, oh, you drive like an idiot. Drive like a 17-year-old. I was like, oh, all right, sorry. You know, still new to this. Yeah, I you know, I would have taken a good 10-minute yelling out to not have to pay the, the great state of Mississippi how many hundred dollars or whatever I now owe them. So Hopefully it's not too much. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, let's hope it's not that much. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is certainly not my first time being pulled over by the police, but, you know, we don't need to get into that story today. <laughs> if anyone is ever interested, I have a very long story about getting my brother arrested on a on an occasion because of something that I did. So anyway, but for now I'll be a college professor and, and act like that never happened. Uh, all right. So anyway, the, the first thing we were going to talk about today, uh, uh, Kelly requested that we talk about scared straight programs and Jacob, do, do you know what scared straight is the programs itself? Yeah, I do. I actually saw that documentary, like the one they made in the seventies. Oh, wow. I, I saw it in, you know, grade school and it sort of singed something in my brain to never get in trouble. I mean, I don't normally, but you know, it sort of uh, reaffirmed that. Well, so that's the interesting thing. Like, you know, were you the kind of kid that was going to get in trouble and suddenly watching that documentary on scared straight turned you around? Or do you think you were probably never going to do it anyway? I probably would never do it anyway, but you know, just scared to watch these little kids going to jail, getting yelled at by someone who's been there for 25 years. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, this is it. I, I think the documentary was actually set at Rahway Prison in New Jersey. Um, but several years ago, uh, A&E Network decided to do a TV show called Beyond Scared Straight. And it's, it's actually it's a, it's 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 a program that's very popular with the general public. What you do is you take some 12, 14, 16 year old kid who's gotten into a lot of trouble and. You take them, you take them to the hardest core maximum security prison in your state. You put them in a cell with Bubba. Bubba screams at him for a while, says he's going to make, you know, the kid his bitch, you know, says how miserable their life is going to be and how they're going to steal their shoes. And the kids hopefully cry and leave there and say, I'm never going to do this again. Right. That's that's sort of the goal of Scared Straight. Seems that way. Yeah. So I, I actually my my favorite story about Scared Straight, a, a friend of mine from Tacoma who uh, who did end up getting in more trouble. But now he's sort of turned his life around, told me that when he was like 16, he did Scared Straight and he pulled me aside and he was like he was like, Williams, I was so freaked out about it. I had to go get high afterwards, which I think it's exactly nice. not the point of Scared yes, Straight. I think, that's I think completely the opposite I think, of what they want. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to stop. Um, but anyway, there are there are various versions. Uh, San Quentin does sort of a scared straight light program called the Squires, where they don't really yell at them. They they talk to them, and supposedly it's a little bit better. But you know, one of the things that we've we've found through research on the scared straight programs is that that they just don't work. 
And in fact, they have nearly no effect on the recidivism rates of the kids that go through them. And so we've, there's been lots of research where you take kids who don't do scared straight, you take kids who do, do scared straight. And oddly enough, the kids who do scared straight seem to have a slightly higher recidivism rate not enough that it's statistically uh, not surprised not surprised at all there's nothing long term about scared straight right and and i think that that one of the things that scared straight brings up is the problem of these kinds of programs that are very very sort of short term in nature and and you know boot camps are very similar even though they're more than just one day and even dare uh, i hate to criticize you know everybody's favorite program in dare but dare doesn't really do anything any either because you bring police officers in, you know, one time in the fifth grade and expect that that's going to stop kids from doing drugs. The problem with scared straight, what we've realized is that actually it's twofold. One is that these kids go back home to the environment that they came from, right? Exactly. And, and so, you know, scared straight is not going to have any long-term effect on them because they are just going back to where they came from and, and what they need is ongoing help. But the bigger thing that we've found out from interviewing the kids that have gone through Scared Straight is where you looked at that program as a kid and thought, God, I never want to go to prison and I'm really scared of prison. A lot of the kids who go through these programs look at Bubba and say, not only am I not scared of Bubba, but if I work really hard when I get to prison someday, I get to be Bubba. Yeah, I don't think that's the I don't think that's what they're trying to do in the program at all, but I'm sure that is a you know something that comes out, out of it completely. Yeah, and I think that you know this is it's one of those things I, I, several years ago I was in um I was doing a a training program in a uh, in a county in 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 rural Texas. And the the guy who was the deputy director for their juvenile probation department asked me for research on boot camps and scared straight programs because the people in the community really, really wanted them. Like they were mad that this juvenile services, these juvenile probationers weren't being forced to do scared straight programs. And so he needed to have research to actually show the community that these programs don't work because they were coming after him. But well, people are inherently it. reactionary. They see a problem. How do we fix that immediately? Right. There's no delay gratification in something like this. Yeah. So they want change now. They want it quick. And that doesn't work because, right. like you alluded to earlier, this is not the kids are just bad. You know, they have broken homes they come from, more impoverished communities most likely. You know, they don't have a great home environment. Maybe they're not, you know, they're not going to class or something of that nature. So there's more to just let's scare the shit out of them and maybe they'll reform their ways. Yeah, and and one one of the really, you know, I I was speaking to somebody last week in in Texas and he was saying, you know, that you know, my career is sort of coming to fruition in a really exciting time in criminal justice. And he's right in that 20 years ago, our, the solution to all of our criminal justice problems was, you know, more bars, more cells, you know, more, more walls, you know, more razor wire mm -hmm. and just build more places and put more criminals in them. And that's our solution to public safety. We're actually changing in the last 10 years to where we're trying again to see what we can do to sort of lower our recidivism rates. And nowadays, more than at any other time I've seen in my 15 years sort of in the business, 
corrections officials are asking for academics to come and study their programs to find out if they work. And that's a great shift. Well, it's and an this, you know, thing. and something that's very interesting, and I thought is the uh, juvenile crime has actually gone up in the last few years. Yes, it has. And do you think this is because of zero tolerance policies? Do we need to reform zero tolerance policies, and maybe this will stop a younger generation of you know a more criminal element from emerging in our our cities, or or what? What do you think? You know, I, I've seen a lot of different studies on why they think the juvenile crime is going up. My guess, and and I, I've, I, some of the demographics bear this out, I think this was sort of one of the inevitable outcomes of the incarceration problem we have in this country, where, you know, in 1980, we had about eight, 800,000 inmates. Today, we have about 2.3 million. And we are incarcerating people at such a high rate that it's breaking up families. And I think the children of these incarcerated inmates are now coming to an age where they're starting to commit crimes. So the sort of prison building boom and the you know prison population boom that we've seen over the last 20 years, I think has broken up a lot of these communities. Uh, there's a, a guy named Todd Clear, who's a, who's a professor at John Jay College in, in New York, wrote a book uh, called Incarcerating Communities, where he was able to show that a lot of these these kids who are now getting in trouble are the children of people who are who are incarcerated. And that makes complete sense because look at the, the father's in jail. The mother's trying to raise the kids. She can't pay attention to them all the time. She needs to work to support the family. And the kids are out, you know, causing trouble. It makes sense. Yeah. And when you have entire communities that have been all but destroyed by incarceration and mass incarceration and and drugs, um, because really what our focus in the 80s and 90s was the sort of get tough on drugs and make sure you incarcerate people for what is essentially a medical problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're seeing the inevitable outcome of that is the destruction of families and communities. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my feeling about scared straight programs generally is that I, what I know is that they don't work. And, you know, I... I'm I'm a guy who believes in data and I believe in statistics. And if it if you could show me that putting these kids in a cell and getting screamed at actually made them behave better afterwards, you know, even if I found the program distasteful, I would be in favor of using it. But it turns out that treating people terribly actually doesn't make them behave any better. And that makes sense. I mean, and also I think, you know, the Boy Scouts of America, an organization I was involved in my entire life, they do something in more urban cities where there tend to be more, uh, de- you know, juvenile delinquents hanging around, and they do something called uh, urban scouting. Oh. And what this is trying to do is it's trying to build a community for these kids to go to. So they're not going to their, you know, broken home. They're not going to the streets and, you know, uh, causing uh, trouble. They're they're doing scout scouting things. They're learning useful skills, and they're meeting at their schools after class. And this is, you know, from elementary school all the way to high school. And they're trying to teach them useful skills and take them out into the woods and learn uh, knots and uh, you know skills like that. So they're not going to be out causing trouble. And in certain cities, it's actually been working pretty well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think any anything we can do in that regard, I think is incredibly helpful. I, I, you know, I was talking to somebody who was in the juvenile probation world and he was telling me about this County that I, I won't name, 
that that had a boot camp and they had a boot camp for people who had gotten in tr- for kids who had gotten in trouble but they also if you were a parent and you decided your kid was too difficult for you to handle or if the school decided that the kid was too difficult to handle the school and the parent could agree that the kid would essentially go to school at this boot camp program right mm-hmm. and so we were we were discussing it and one of the things he told me he said you know we we have a hard time because these kids aren't sentenced and so if they don't want to listen to us they don't have to listen to us and what they did in this county and it's a it's a it's a county in the south and in the middle of the summer they would take the kids and have the kids sit outside in a box in the heat until they agreed to take part in these programs and i thought really that's how we're going to motivate kids to act better that that we're gonna s- make them sit in a box uh, outside. Are there things like, in the Geneva know, Convention against this? I, I mean, that's it's it's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, I, I I'm sure that I'm sure that that's not something that that the county would want publicized. That that's what they're doing inside. But the kids know about it. The parents know about it. There's never been a lawsuit about it, and they that's what they were doing. They actually stopped doing it a, a couple about a year ago but it, it amazes me that in 2016 this is still a solution to oh the kid is misbehaving let's stick him out in the hot sun all right well that's <laughs> that's an interesting idea from uh, that elected official. yeah right. wow that is uh that's that's an interesting one yeah, um, I wasn't planning on talking about that today. This is probably why I shouldn't be mic'd up and recording. But anyway, uh, I hope I sanitized it enough that nobody will get in trouble. Uh, but we will now move on to the second part of our show, which is um, Kurt Connor, who uh, who recommended an article that we talked about last week, wanted to hear a discussion about Orange is the New Black, which is a television show on Netflix. It is now going into its – is it – it's fifth seat renewed for its fourth season. Fourth season, it says, yeah. Its fourth season is going to be released in the middle of June. Um, it was renewed for a fifth, sixth, and seventh season. I'm not wow. sure how how they're going to make her one year sentence turn into seven seasons of a program. But uh, Jacob, you had never seen the show before, is that right? I have not. Yesterday, I watched the. I think I finished it. I watched the entire first episode. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, I just. A little strange. Maybe I just made because it's the first episode, and I didn't really give it the time I, you know, should have given to it. But um, maybe it's a good show. Um, it, but I thought it was just very strange that the woman went to jail for something she committed uh, all those years ago. But you said that is the true part of the story. Yeah, that is uh, of the of the parts of the story that are made up. When you read, there is a there's a book um, written by Piper Kerman. Uh, that's called Orange is the New Black. And and the show is sort of loosely based on that book. That is one of the few parts of the book that actually comes into the TV show straight through. That that basically 10 years after she had finished committing the crime and had cleaned up her life, she ended up going to prison. Huh. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, the premise of the show is is basically a classic fish out of water. It's a, you know, upper middle class white girl who went to a, you know, liberal arts college in the in in the northeast near where I'm from, uh, gets into trouble by getting sucked into this world of drug dealing and money making. And about I, I can't remember how long, but I think it's eight or nine years after she actually committed the crimes the entire group of people who she was involved with gets taken down by the feds and the real Piper Kerman ends up spending, I believe it's 11 months 
in uh, the Danbury uh, Minimum Security Institution for Women. And so I'm not, so I don't remember in the first episode, has she actually gone to prison yet? Yeah, I believe it was a flashback. She was okay. in prison and then they went, they backflashed to how she got in there. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing about the show, first of all, I, I, the show is, it, it's produced by the same person who produced Weeds, which is one of my, I, I really think it's a fantastic show and I got sucked into it like a lot of people did. And, and so I will say this first, that, that as a television show that is pure entertainment, it's actually an incredibly entertaining show. Like, it's very easy to get sucked into. It was Netflix's most watched original program. Absolutely. I don't and, know if that's changed, but I know for a while that's what it was. Yeah, and, and I understand why. I mean, I, I, when it first came out, people kept coming up to me. Hey, you got to watch this show. It's about prisons. You got to watch this show. And I, I was a little wary because the last two shows that, that had come out on prisons were HBO's Oz and Prison Break. Both of which were so full of shit that I almost couldn't stand myself. And, you know, Oz was basically one big prison rape after another. And, you know, anyone who actually has has worked in prisons at all was horribly offended by everything that Oz did. And then Prison Break came along and it was even more sensational. Um, but, I, but I have to... I do have to say, you know, before I, I get into my specific issues with Orange is the New Black, um, the, do you know the movie Face Off? It may be a little bit older. Never, than never heard of it. Okay. So there was a movie called Face Off that came out in the late 90s. And in the movie, um, John Travolta and, uh, and Nick Cage switch faces. It's a really – it's a horribly stupid movie, but you should definitely see it. Sounds, sounds like a great way to burn an afternoon. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So they, they switch faces, but they don't switch bodies, which is the weird part because Nick Cage is probably a good 100 pounds lighter than, than, uh, than Travolta, but nobody says anything about that. And Cage is the criminal and Travolta is a federal agent. And you know Travolta goes and lives his life so he can stop a terrorist attack from happening in Los Angeles. So anyway, I, I was watching this in the movie theater with my brother, who hates watching movies with me. But um, we're sitting there and we're watching the movie. And I turn to my brother and, and Travolta, as the Nick Cage person, is in a federal prison. That's this super secret federal prison that nobody knows about. And I notice that all the corrections officers are walking around with guns. And so I turn to my brother and I say, corrections officers never carry guns in a facility. Right. I remember that. Yeah. And he turns to me and he goes, that's your fucking problem with this movie. He's like, of all of the stupid things they're doing in this movie, that's the one that's a little bit too of offbeat for you. Of course. Yeah. So that's, that's who I am as a human being. So just to sort of call myself out. Um, <laughs> and my problem with Orange is the New Black isn't that it isn't entertaining or anything like that. It's that it is so far afield from the book. And so far afield from the reality of life in prison that I feel like it does more damage than it does good. Probably, but hey, they have to get ratings. I, I understand that. And, and you know, the world is fascinated by prisons. And, and I hate to tell everybody this. Prisons, for the most part, are really kind of boring. But – you know, the book itself, I actually highly recommend. Like I, I met Piper Kerman. She came to Sonoma State. She and I fought at dinner about whether or not the show was bad for America. I obviously thought it was bad. She thought it was fine. Um, 
And, and what I said to her was, you know, her argument to me was, you know, the, the women in, in the show are, are close to the women in terms of character types that she wrote about. And she said, if it has to be sensationalized to get their stories out there, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that either. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about that argument because my big problem and, and, you know, I work with prison administrators and, and I work with uh, prison supervisors and, you know, I hate to break everybody's hearts, but these are not, these are not knuckle draggers for the most part. You know, they're not the horrible human beings that TV often makes them out to be. And this show makes them out to be, you know, every single one of them is either fucking an inmate or taking money from an inmate or just a horrible human being. And I think that, that, that was sort of what ended up rubbing me the wrong way was the treatment of the staff was so overblown that I, I really, it, it really just got my go. So see, I haven't seen very much of it. So is it sort of like you're having this, uh, I don't know, the, 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 inmates are the heroes of this story and oh, the yeah. guards are the villains. How, how's this working? Yeah. I mean, not all of the, not all of them are heroes. I mean, there are certainly bad inmates, but for the most part, it's very much a classic, you know, she is a fish out of water. She's trying to understand a world she doesn't understand. You know, one of the things they actually do portray the way they really are in women's prisons is that there are these structures called pseudo families. Um, men's prisons, men join gangs, women join families. And so you have women who substitute for your mom, your dad, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. Um, and you really do become very much a family in the show. They make it seem like that happens along racial lines in real women's prisons. It's actually uh, race doesn't play into it the way that it does in men's prisons. Um, and so that part of it is definitely true. Um, there certainly is a, a phrase that people talk about called gay for the stay. Um, and that is certainly played up on the show a lot where it's, it's basically everybody is involved in, 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 in activities like that. But I think that probably happens some certainly, but I don't think as much as the show makes it out to be. Um, staff do get caught for sleeping with inmates. It's, it's a problem in prisons. It's a problem in men's prisons and in women's prisons. But the fact that, that, that that's basically all that the show focuses on, I guess, tends to be my biggest issue with it. Um, that seems reasonable. I mean, you study this for a living, so right. it, it, it makes sense that this is upsetting you. I mean, I'm... When I watch show, you know, I'm a big history guy and, you know, politics and all that stuff. But when I watch movies and they're so out there, it upsets me, too. So I totally get it. Yeah. And, you know, this is a series. That, so the second season I'm looking on Wikipedia, which, as we know, is the best thing ever. Very credible source. Um, uh, it's second season. The series re received four Emmy nominations. It, it The first season, it got 12 primetime Emmy nominations. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's not only that it's getting watched so much, it's, it's incredibly popular. And I, I guess, you know, my fear is always the criminal justice system is just, is always portrayed. It's just such a good, it seems to be so interesting to people. It's all over, you know, our media. And, and so when I see a show like this, that's as popular as this is, 
that gets everything just so wrong that it drives me crazy. And and I guess I, I have a feeling, you know, maybe people who worked in the White House saw the West Wing and hated it, even though I love it. Um, I, I actually met Aaron Sorkin a few months ago. Did you really? Yeah, he came into ESPN. Was he, uh, was he a nice guy? Seemed very nice to me. Asked me where he could buy a fan. Asked you where? Okay. Yes. That was, you... that, was, that was the extent of our conversation, and I told him I enjoyed uh, Moneyball. Okay, that was good. At least you, at least you didn't, you know, you, you picked a good one. I mean, exactly. I, suppose, I suppose he hears about everything, given, the, given how popular all of with his... Pro- I, yeah, with a prolific career like that, of course. He, he's probably, people are going to kiss his ass all day. That's true. So, yeah. I, oh, by the way, somebody told me that that they were filming the show The Bachelor in ESPN Studios. Were you around for that? Thank goodness I was not. <laughs> that was on the Sports Nation set. Okay, I was. Hoping, I, I was hoping to get a, a peek of you at some point while they were, you know, filming. Uh, the show. Yeah, no, there, there's no way I would ever be caught there. Well, I also found out that um, a former student of mine, her father, is a. Uh, is a fire chief, and I guess he does a cameo on the show at some point uh, in the last episode. So, oh, jeez, you know, I would hate to be associated with something like that. Yeah, worlds worlds colliding. I, I saw that up on her Facebook. But anyway, back to oranges. Back to what we're talking about. Sorry, I, um, I no, digress. No. I, you know, I think I think that you know, prisons prisons are you know and i argue this actually with prison administrators all the time that part of their biggest problem is they do have a pr problem right that the only thing oh, that, exactly the only thing yeah the only thing that the public tends to know about prisons is if they watch lockup or when something really bad happens or you know somebody gets killed or there's an escape or whatever it is and the the other the, the issue is that that prisons for the most part are really boring places. I think that's what most people don't realize is there are interesting issues that go on there, but day to day they are unbelievably boring. And um, I think the media wants to make them super exciting, and because we don't know very much about them, I think this show especially like I can't think of another show that's ever gone inside a women's prison except maybe Lockup, and so they basically had this blank canvas that they could play with. I just wish that they didn't have to stereotype and make caricatures out of the characters just quite as much as they have. They have to, they have to make them somewhat relatable to the audience. I'm assuming. So they have to give them these characters that they already know in a, you know, in a sense. And I, you know, and, and again, I, I watched it. I, I think I've watched at least two of the seasons. Maybe I can't remember if I watched the third or not. It's very well written and it's very entertaining. I, I just, I just think it's, you know, if, if I were somebody working in a women's prison and by the way, women's prisons are way harder to work in than men's prisons any day of the week, I would be really horrified that this is the portrayal that I had to deal with. My suggestion to you is watch it for the entertainment value. Yeah. And just shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. Just, just enjoy the show. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I, Interestingly, and this is, you know, I, I, I'll name drop here for a second. You know, Piper Kerman, as I mentioned, did come to Sonoma State and she was she was a lovely person. She 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 did a workshop with about 20 of our students. Um, the only requirement for the students was that they had to read her book. Uh, she signed books for them. Uh, she's very, very bright. She's very articulate. Um, and she actually asked, you know, she found out what I did where I do these training programs and she asked 
if I would ever bring her along. She said, I won't even take any money for it. I would just love to be able to get in front of that audience that you have. And on several occasions, I have mentioned to people who were booking me, hey, this person, Piper Kerman, who wrote a book called Orange is the New Black, would love to come and speak also. Do you have a spot for her? And because of the TV show, nobody wants to bring her in. Interesting. I feel like the audience is just going to hate her because of the TV show. That's That makes sense, though, but that's very interesting. You'd think they would at least let her come and speak. Yeah, I would I, I would I would really like it. I haven't uh, reached out to her in a couple of years because I got pushed back basically from everybody I've, I brought it up to. Um, but maybe at some point I'll be able to to get her in to talk to that audience because I think it would be an interesting conversation to have. Maybe when the show's done with their seventh season. Yeah, maybe after the seventh season. I don't yeah. understand this. She spent 11 months in prison. They're going to have to figure out a way that she spends an extra – oh, who the hell knows? They'll figure it out, right? Post-prison life. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, she'll violate parole so it can be Orange is the New Black on parole. Um, part two. Part two. Maybe yeah. then she gets on probation for a new crime. It'll be really fun. Four in prison. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving along. I have I have done more than my share of speaking so far. So now it is time for Jacob's turn on the show for Jacob's International Rant. Jacob, well, what do you, you want to talk about today? Well, today I want to talk about Kurdistan okay. and why I think there should be a Kurdistan. I'm not going to get too much into this because there's just far too much to talk about. Okay. But what can I'd just talk, like to say can – you, Can you explain to the audience a little bit about the Kurds and their issues in Iraq sure. and Turkey? The yeah. Kurds are the largest – single ethnic group that does not have their own country. And you can find them in sort of the northwestern part of Iran, uh, Iraq, Turkey, and the, re- the nations of that, Syria, the nations of that region. Okay. And they, so they're not Arabs. And just let's remember that. There's non-Arab people of the Arab world, the Kurds, Jews, Yazidi. There's several. There's many, many, many groups. The the Arab world is not as homogenous as people like to think it is. There's you, many. You different mean peoples. Middle Eastern politics is more complicated than most people realize? Uh, yes, I, I, I can I can say that. Yes, I'm shocked. Okay, go I ahead. I know. Uh, and so the Kurds have lived there for thousands and thousands of years in that part of the world. Yes. And they've never had their own country. They've always sort of lived under these great empires, you know, Iraq and Babylonia, the, Turk- the Turkish Empire, the, the British, the French. The Ottomans. The, you know, everyone. And follow, you know, in, in May of 1916, a British and a French government official came together and created something called the Sykes-Picot Agreement, named after Mark Sykes and Francois Picot. And what they did is they said, hey, when the war ends, we're going to carve up the Middle East. And the Kurds found themselves split, some in the British part, some in the, in the French part. And so they were separated. Then after World War II, when these great empires collapsed and the countries of the Middle East were created once again, so the modern interpretations of them, the Kurds again were cut up into these other countries. So they've never really had a say in where they're living. And I think now, with the instability of Iraq and Syria, and, you know, these, Turkey clearly has not become a friend of the United States and the West anymore, I think now is the time for the Kurds to break away and create their own country. Now, the Kurds, just to be clear, the Kurds have always been big supporters of the West, especially the United States. Yes, and they're even friends of Israel, which is hard to find in that part of the world. Right. So, so, so 
is is your feeling about creating a Kurdistan in part because as a foreign policy as somebody interested in foreign policy, it would be nice to have an actual ally in that reason, region, not like Saudi Arabia. A no, uh, ally. I think that's a part of it, but I don't think that's the main aspect of why I think they should have their own country. Look, at they're a huge population, millions and millions of them. They deserve their own country. They should have their own say in, the, you know, in, in their, their people's destiny. Right. And they've been living under these horrible dictatorships for all these years. I think it's time. They control Iraq's oil wealth in the north. You know, they have friendships all throughout the region with different non-Arab groups. This is a very important people. And now's the time with a weak Iraq and a weak Syria, they can forge their own country. And, now, mm-hmm. would, would the main reason why the rest of Iraq would, would have an issue with this because so, is because so much of the oil wealth is, is located there? Yeah, no, I I think that's exactly it. It tends to be the most stable part of the country. Right. They're actually taking in refugees from the rest of Iraq. Right. And, and the and, the American military bases are found there as well. Right. And I you know, I think I think that as as Americans, it, we often forget too that countries like Iraq were created sort of out of the out of the British mindset that Iraq is not, it's not like Iraq has a, you know, a thousand year history of, of being a nation state. They were carved out of a piece of land after or right around the time of world war one. And right. And the British created a sort of young monarchy to take over. Exactly. And, and, mm-hmm. and that didn't end up lasting. And so, you know, it's, you know, the idea that Iraq would be split up into several States is not, it, is not the most earth shattering idea on the face of the planet. I think, I think at least there was a, an article that I mentioned to you, Jacob, that uh-huh. came out a couple of hours ago on from foreignpolicy.com. Paul McCleary writes that he doesn't think it's a time for an independent Kurdistan. And I think most of his argument is based on the idea that you'll, you'll, that that part that, that the Kurds of Northern Iraq will become closer and closer with Turkey. Um, which will weaken what is there in terms of an Iraqi state and essentially leave the rest of Iraq to be easy pickings for Islamic state to come and take over. Yeah. I mean, that, that could be one of the outcomes, but I think, I mean, look at it, look at the way Iraq is right now. You already have a part that's very much in the camp with Iran. The Iranian mullahs are already there and they, they're Shiites. So they, they already have a natural alliance with, Iran and the different Shiite groups in the Middle East. You know, we call that part of the world the Shiite crescent from Beirut to Baghdad, right. you know, to Baghdad. Right. And then with the border with uh, Iran. Right. And then you have the western part where they're Sunni, predominantly Sunni, and they ally themselves more with the Sunnis in in, in Syria and Saudi Arabia and they sort of get their their power from that region. Right. And then you have the Kurds in the north and they uh, they only have themselves. Right. So I think now if anything's going to happen they should have their own country. It should break up into three because clearly the Iraq that the British created is not lasting. Right. And Saddam was just able to keep that all together. Yeah. Well, and, you know, so some of this is, is our doing by going in there and breaking up. What hey, was it was going to happen inevitably. I mean, once Saddam fell and maybe Uday and Kusay didn't work out, who, who knows? Right. You know, I, I think it, it just happened a little quicker. Interesting. Now, what do you think the likelihood is of this happening? As much as I would like, I, I think now is the perfect opportunity. I don't think it will happen. Probably, it may never happen because, you know, I, I think people want to believe in the idea of a, an Iraq 
you know, they right. we they shouldn't break up. They should have one country and right. try to make it work. You know, create a system, maybe like Belgium, where you have different ethnic enclaves that don't necessarily like each other, but they work together for the greater good of the country. Right. And maybe create, a, you know, they used to have these pan-Arab alliances, you know, with uh, Nasser and Saddam. Maybe they need something like that, which is not as militant, but, you know, sort of a political movement to keep these countries together. Right. And But, you know, I do think, and Obama's trying to have, you know, some legacy in his foreign policy decisions. I think if he helps create a Kurdistan, that would cement as a good foreign policy move by him, which I think he has very few at the moment. Well, and I, I mean, you're, that. well, you're a huge fan of him, you know, sort of as a whole. So I'm shocked. Oh, yes. Big, that, big fan. Big yeah, fan. I'm, sh- I'm shocked that you don't think he's had very many foreign policy wins. But um, and, and right now, where does the Obama administration stand? It seems to me that they're happy with the status quo, which is that the Iraqi Kurds have quite a bit of um, freedom from the rest of Iraq. Yeah, the premise is complete autonomy. The country. Mm hmm. And hey, look at we have our American military installations there. We have government officials there. We 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 do work with the Kurds, but I think we should be doing more. Okay, well, right. this is a story that that we're going to continue to follow. And uh, and uh, yeah, uh, do we have anything else to add for today's episode? Actually, I would like to end with a quote that I okay. read. Yes, this is from the Torah. Okay, blessed are they that observe justice and do righteous at all times. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Since we are a law and political science-based podcast, I thought that's a great quote that you should do the right thing and live by the laws. I think I think that's an excellent way to end. So, uh, as I end, I want to remind everybody: uh, please, please, please follow us on Twitter at the Doing Time Pod. Uh, join our Facebook group, and uh, if if you would be so kind as to take the time to write a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. Uh, I am in Florida for the next week uh, for my niece's bat mitzvah, and then you'll be hearing from me. Uh, from various parts of Europe. I am taking a group of 23 students over there for 31 days. And uh, maybe I'll have David McEwen, my co-professor on the trip, sit in on one of the podcasts one of the weeks. So um, we'll see if we can make that happen. So uh, until next week, Jacob. Well, nice thank you guys you. very much for listening. Thank you, Williams, to, for doing this. Yes, thank you. And uh, we will talk to you all next week.